Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Law Farm Podcast. From planting a seed to enjoying a meal, we all play a part in sustaining the growth of our local food systems. No matter what has brought you here, I hope you leave with some new ideas about supporting the food systems that support us all. The guests on the Law Farm Podcast are people doing work that inspires me, and I hope that inspiration keeps spreading. I'm your host, Michelle Namer, and this is the Law Farm Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Law Farm Podcast. Clay Oliver's family has been farming in South Georgia for five generations. As such, he and his family are not strangers to pecans and peanuts, but it wasn't until 2008 that Clay thought the farm might benefit from making oil products out of the family's crop. The original idea was to provide biofuels for farm consumption. Little did he know at the time that folks nationwide would be benefiting from his experiments in biofuel, but in a much more tasty way. Clay started Oliver Oil Company in 2013 to cold press food grade oils from pecans, sunflower seeds, and peanuts. The story doesn't end with delicious oils. Clay's enterprise uses the waste products, and I put waste in air quotations, from the oil making process to make densely nutritious pecan flour, peanut flour, pumpkin flour, and Benny flour? Is it Benny? Benny. Okay. And Oliver Farm Artisan Oils are a fantastic example of the bounty resulting from farmers thinking outside the box to provide value for the farm and quality products for consumers. Clay, did I miss anything important in that quick little intro that you feel like needs to be brought up now before I start asking you other things? Beautiful wife, Valerie, and two wonderful children, Maggie, 12, and Molly, 10. All right. And Valerie works with you in the oil company, correct? That's right. She does. Yeah. And do the girls, do they have their own little role? The girls do. You know, we they really enjoy going to events and meeting people and, and passing out information and talk, giving samples. They'll jump right in. That's, that's, so that's fun, fun too. That is so fun. And we'll be painting the picture of Oliver Oil Company and Oliver Farms, but I really hope it just super conveys that this is a tight family, great idea, small town feel. Like this is connecting with food. It's very nice. Let's start with your the fact that you come from five generations of farmers. Okay. You know about farming, and you know about it from a completely different perspective than I do. I come from Metro Atlanta, where we're doing urban farming and small-scale enterprises. I feel like, even though there's a similar goal at the end of the day, and there may be similar ideas, it's a very different world. Can you talk about farming in South Georgia generally, really quick? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. And, you know, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you say there's a lot of similarities between the smaller urban farms and then the, the larger farms down here. We're, we're trying to reach the same goal, produce food, fiber uh, okay. for people to consume and use. And um, if you think back when 50, 60, 70 years ago, you could compare the farmers in this area to small urban farmers Mm-hmm. in that they were <clears throat> more diverse. Everybody had chickens, everybody had a goat, everybody had a cow. Right. Um, and then as modernization occurred, more jobs available in town, more lucrative jobs, uh, the development of middle class, people didn't want to stay on the farm and do that. And there was you know, a mass exodus off the farm. Not a mass exodus, but you know, over time, generation by generation, you would lose some members to go off and then they're not on the family farm anymore 
And as a result, that creates a vacuum. Farmer Brown's not, he's retiring, nobody's taking over. My family could work that land. And you know, you expanded and farms here grew that way and have continued to grow that way to the point now where if you think commodity prices are often the same as they were in the 1960s and 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're getting the same price for our commodity crop that we, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Fertilizer prices have tripled. Mm -hmm. Fuel prices have tripled or quadrupled. Mm -hmm. Machinery prices, oh my Lord, a tractor back in the day, you could probably buy a nice one for 15000 now. I mean, you're talking $250,000 mm -hmm. for a piece of iron. Uh, you can't just farm a few acres and pay for anything like that. And, and you know, you shouldn't hate on the American farmer <clears throat> for taking advantages of advances in science. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if you can do something much easier and get the same result or oftentimes better results, mm -hmm. you know, why should you break your back? There's a, an, a, another option. So Right, yeah. So... You stayed on the farm. You say a lot of people moved on to other things. Did you know you were going to be a part of the family farm business? Shoot, no. I couldn't wait to get out of here. Yeah? When I was, you know, my daddy, yeah, I love my daddy, and, and um, learned a tremendous amount about the farm, everything I, I know from them. But they worked us hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he really didn't encourage us to necessarily stay here. You know, it's a big world out there and get your education. Mm -hmm. So I went off to school and uh, got a, couldn't think of anything else, so I got a degree in education. <laughs> uh, and I say that jokingly, but my mother's a teacher, grandmother's, aunts. So uh, I thought I wanted to teach, and I did, and I enjoyed it. I, I love history, and, and that was just easy for me to talk about you know, things that happened and make a story out of it. Uh, but circumstances, things, poor decisions on my part, I came back to the farm after three years of actually teaching in school system. Mm -hmm. And Were you down uh, here in Wilcox County teaching? No, I was, I was not. I moved off. Um, I mean, I commuted to school. I didn't, like, go off anywhere or anything. Uh, I couldn't afford to. Mm -hmm. I had the Hope Scholarship. Mm-hmm. Thank Me you, too. Brother Zell yes. Miller. <laughs> and enjoyed that immensely. I uh, wouldn't take anything for the time spent there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, would like to say, you know, once you got an education, you know, you can't take that. But coming back at that time, I see now, you know, I see like the Lord's hand in it because uh, I was able to work with my daddy and my brother for seven years mm -hmm. uh, side by side. And he had a heart attack suddenly in 2008. Yeah, uh, actually the day before we were to begin planting cotton that, that April. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that thrust my brother, mother and I into, you know, a whole different role. Absolutely. And the first year was really tough, you know, figuring it out. You know, you, you like to think you know everything, mm -hmm. you've seen it done, but when you have to actually do the things and, you know, the full gamut of what goes on in running a, a, even a small farm like ours is, you know, it's a challenge. You just said small farm, but how many acres do you think your family has? Um, well, now we don't own all that we work. We we rent uh, from from other people who who don't farm, mm -hmm. and I believe this year it's 
it's usually around 1,200 to 1,400 acres. That just want that for. perspective, because when I say small farm elsewhere, it's a completely different picture. So, sorry, I interrupted that. No, I understand. So you were yeah, yeah. Into it you know, there's some guys that work some tremendous acreage you know, around here. Absolutely. So we're considered small guys around here. Right, you know, right, so. right. So, 2008, you have this whole new world of taking over and running yeah. everything. 2008 yeah. was a pivotal year for us in it. After Daddy passed, we, we get the crop growing, we're, we're going along, harvest time comes, and that's really when we consume the most fuel mm-hmm. in the fall. And if you think back, 2008 is when the economy tanked. Mm-hmm. People started getting laid off. People that we knew who had had jobs at the same factory for 15, 20 years were getting laid off, and they're coming by the farm looking for work. And I had just read The Grapes of Wrath, and the hard times that they went through and you know it, we had nothing like that but it was just made me think like wow these people are coming around just like back in the day yeah. looking for work yeah. thinking farming's good and we did have higher commodity prices through there actually hit some to me all-time highs with some of them and very volatile too you know um prices to shoot up and then they shoot down so from what my daddy had been experiencing things changed seemed like in a year or two in that you couldn't just follow the same kind of game plan and pattern but the thing here's the thing that fuel prices shot up at the end of that year and there was talk on the television on the news in in just in general you know coffee shop talk of biofuel the ethanol mandate came out i don't know if it was 2007 or 8 but it had been along that time mm-hmm. and the more people talked about that, I was like, well, gee, you know, I wonder if you could do it on a small scale where you make your own fuel. Mm-hmm. I'd heard stories of people making vegetable, waste vegetable oil fuel, and I was intrigued by that. And I thought, well, if they can do it with waste oil, surely you could do it with clean oil, new oil. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the idea got born was the change that occurred in 2008 in the, in the nation or in the world, and then that fuel spark just made me think, you know, I'm not paying somebody $4 a gallon if I can make it myself. Mm-hmm. And did you ever make the biofuels? Was that something that did come to fruition? Not yet. <laughs> I was talking with manufacturers in the equipment, presses and things, and I actually went to Atlanta and met a man from Texas who was had equipment for sale all kind of oil processing food grade equipment to to petroleum and i was like wow and in the conversation and he said you know you should look into food grade oil production and it's like a my a little light bulb went off or you know my gears stopped turning for a minute and i was like wow food grade oil mm-hmm. you know and and he was thinking a very large scale industrial size equipment you know mm-hmm. doing tons of things a day you know, he said, you start on Monday and run 24 hours a day through Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, okay. It's not really what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, wasn't thinking about that. But that idea of food-grade oil production, you know, I'd never heard it put like that. And it just kind of rang in my ear. So again, you know, looking into that, I actually I met a man online. His name is Glenn Rhodes. Mm-hmm. He's from Virginia. Mm-hmm. His uh, internet handle is Fuel Farmer, mm-hmm. and we were on a farm talk forum, Ag Talk, and he uh, had shown pictures of his process, and he made and reading back through his threads, I realized this guy's making like five, six thousand gallons of fuel each year on his farm, and turning it into into 
biofuel. And just a conversation with him, said, can I come up and take a look and see if it's something I could do? He said, you're welcome to. Went up and was blown away at his creativity and just, you know, smart, smart guy. Mm -hmm. And he said, let me show you what my cousin's doing. He's taking canola and pressing it into oil and selling it at farmer's markets. And he's getting $30 a gallon for his oil, Mm -hmm. unrefined oil. He said, I'm burning it in a tractor for $3 a gallon. Mm -hmm. He said, so you tell me who's smart, you know. Mm -hmm. And that kind of just, the puzzle pieces fell in place then. And I was like. He showed me his press. It was a small, uh, same kind of setup I have now. And I was like, you know, this is something I could do. I don't have to sell my home, you know, mortgage my house to to buy the equipment. I don't have to have a million-dollar facility. I don't have to have workers. I can do this myself in maybe my spare time and and fill it out. And that's how it came about. Uh, The first thing I pressed was sunflowers. And I actually grew sunflowers in 2012 just on faith that we'll be able to buy a press mm-hmm. at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, these presses aren't inexpensive at all. I mean, they they cost a chunk of money. So made peanuts. I made a good crop of peanuts that year, and I said, I'm going to, instead of investing it back in the farm, I'm going to put this on a press. Mm-hmm. And initially just set it up on tabletops under the shelter and would have to take it in at night and, you know, bring it back and forth and, it, there was a learning curve there, and it took me a while to actually even be able to get something out of it. Uh-huh. But um, when we did, uh, it, it was just like, yes, this is doable. So sunflowers were first. Mm-hmm. Did you plant sunflowers on the farm before you planted them with the hopes of pressing them? We had done food plots, mm-hmm. you know, all my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, birds come in, and you can attract them with sunflowers. So that had been done for a long time, but never to harvest. And I don't actually grow the same kind you normally get for that. We grow a special hyolaic variety Mm -hmm. that uh, is guaranteed to have a certain amount of saturated fat. And the saturated fat content of our sunflower oil is is lower than any other oil I've ever come across. Mm -hmm. And we're talking 1.2, where olive oils... 1.9 1.9 to 2 mm-hmm. so it's half as much as olive oil so a really light oil okay so for those of you listening if you want a visual stunning visual the website oliverfarms.com no s just no. oliverfarm.com oliverfarm.com there are pictures of clay and his family and they're surrounded by sunflowers and it is beautiful and worth checking out. So maybe when you listen to the rest of this, just go ahead and pull up one of those photos to listen with. It's a great backdrop. Mm-hmm. How did you know when you had the right taste, like the right product? Did you have people who helped you with that, resources, or was it just a matter of what tasted good and right to you? Yeah, here's the total secret to my success. All right, everybody listen. Right. I take what the good Lord has put in the seed or nut. Mm-hmm. I get it out as gently as possible. Mm-hmm. I do as little to it as possible, and I put it in the bottle. Simple and delicious, and it works. I like that. Do you separate what you're doing now in your head completely from farming? You have the farming piece that you have experience with, your family does, and now you're making a food product. Do they feel completely different to you, or do you feel like there is like a, a blend in the in the way you approach both of those things? Well, I think it would be easy to separate yourself from the farm when you're 
thinking of marketing or doing trade shows or even you know just working in here mm -hmm. but all you have to do is step outside and you can see the fields where it's growing from or if it's we're cleaning seed you can see that or we're bringing it something out of storage to come in here it's it's the connection is right there most stuff doesn't leave the county it, you know it, it stays here local so do you feel like a farmer who makes a food product or do you feel like someone who just makes food products and there happen to be farms all around? No, I feel like a lucky, lucky man <laughs> because I can be here on this land that my family has had their hands in for generations. Mm -hmm. And if I need to do an interview or something or be an advocate for ag I can I can do that too and it gives me a chance to talk to people who are so far removed from ag that all they get sound bites on TV and the buzzwords and so being able to maybe educate them and, and just say well, you know hey it's not you know mm -hmm. it's not all like that you know they're not killing the birds and bees you know yeah it's really neat to hear your perspective of being able to bring something special and tie it back to the farm for other people. Well, I'd like to just say one thing is that I, I feel there's a lot of, I don't know the right word, there's like friction or tension or there's this divide between commercialized production and then more organic type production. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like one side looks down the nose at the other or thinks that this is the right way and that they're bad for doing that or they, that way is not sustainable or you couldn't feed the world doing it that way. And I'm just like, gosh, man, somewhere we have to, you know, it has to meet in the middle, you know. Yes. It's, it's supply and demand, too. If the consumer demands a million chicken nuggets a day and french fries, then you're not going to be able to do it organically like that. You know, so it comes to, down to the consumer, I think. It yeah, really does. And that's exactly. why I'm glad to see people making products like you are and having the conversations with people about it because you're right. As long as we expect things two for a dollar, buy one, get one free, you know, under five dollars for whatever I'm consuming, as long as we, and I include myself too, because even though I'm aware of a lot of about food ag, I have the same, you know, tendency to watch my pocketbook. Yeah. And as long as we demand those prices, you're right. There has to be a happy medium. We've got to grow it and make money. I would challenge people to get outside, go south of the perimeter, <laughs> 50 miles, 60 miles, and not in a large town, and go try to buy groceries. Mm -hmm. That's a great challenge. Go try to buy you something healthy to eat for lunch. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to go outside the perimeter, actually. Yeah. Go to southwest Atlanta, yeah. same thing. You can get tires on any corner for you know a 10-mile stretch, yep. but you can't necessarily get fresh produce or anything yep. like that. So that's a great challenge. Going back to switching gears from farming to oil, were there any surprises in doing that, like any unexpected things? And I'm mainly thinking from like a regulatory framework and all the requirements that the USDA or... FDA may have. Yeah, well, y you know, you would expect, I expect it with making food, you know, there, there's got to be rules and there needs to be rules and right. thank, thank goodness there are. So it wasn't, I don't think I was ever really shocked with anything. 
it's just, you know, you might pout your lip out like, oh, I don't want to paint that. Why not paint, uh, you know, right. stuff like that. But, you know, you understand why. And the Department of Ag has been super to work with. And what I did was got involved with Georgia Grown, the Department of Ag's marketing division, and went to uh, symposiums and things that they put on. And through that, I became connected with the people who would become my inspectors Mm -hmm. and the people you're going to have to ask questions or that will be coming to tell you what to do. So I was, I felt like I was ahead. I was doing my homework, Mm -hmm. you know, I was trying to cover all the bases I could. And before we built anything, you know, you guys tell me what to do and uh, handle it forward instead of, you know, backing up and starting over. There are great resources with Georgia Department of Ag, U.S. Department of Ag, and all of that. So that's really a great piece for anyone who's got it on their radar to do something similar, but they're not sure where to start. You're right. You better, yeah. them and the local extension agencies even, or the local extensions are really good about having conversations. I I need to back up right there and say, yes, my Wilcox County Extension agent at the time Mm -hmm. really encouraged me to pursue this Mm -hmm. in so much as took me to plants where they do make peanut oil into biofuel and you know any literature he came across would pass my way so yes county extension office uh, is a great resource they're out there all the resources that's great that you did you connected with them and getting into this and use that stuff so talk to us a little bit about the georgia grown program and your experience and what that does for your product well initially georgia grown became one of my what not became well it was my marketing tool mm-hmm. uh they hosted events uh they have a website uh and they're in the connection with of course the market bulletin is part of the department of ag and so you get on people's radar mm-hmm. uh and through them got on the radar of certain magazines and so forth that, that just get your name out there uh, and I think having the brand of Georgia Grown lets people know that, you know, hopefully they think, well, this is a product who's gone through channels and, you know, they're a licensed business and mm-hmm. they're not just making it out in the backyard on Saturday afternoon. And, you know, these, these guys are legit. And I take pride in having the Georgia Grown uh, logo on there that, hey, Georgia is a great state, just such diverse industries and businesses in Georgia that proud to, to have that and, and appreciate everything Commissioner Black now has done. He's got a great team. Um, we've, we've come to know many of them personally as friends, but beyond that, they're just really professional at what they do. Yeah, the Georgia Grown, I mean, I love that stamp because I do look for things local. I do yeah. look for things that are, you know, family run and, and small, and that's exactly what sold the pecan oil on me when I was awesome. in that, that olive oil store was that Georgia Grown. But you're beyond Georgia now. Are mm-hmm. there any regulations or any things that you have to keep in mind when you're sending food products over the lines? Yeah, well, you need to know the FDA gets involved when you go across state lines. You know, you have to register with them, and those are things that are like, hey, you haven't registered. I was like, well, I didn't know I was supposed to. He's like, you sell across state lines. I was like, yes, sir. We didn't do anything wrong. I think yeah. it's just one of those things that maybe it's a dollar amount in your business. You do a certain amount of volume that, you know, and I'm... I just consider myself small and don't even think about those things. But I guess, you know, moving across state lines. You have to learn about proper way to pack and 
um, a lot of, you know, whoops, that didn't work, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so. You're not just in Georgia. Uh, we talked a little bit before recording about this. What are your thoughts about that Georgia-grown label as it goes outside the state? Like, Well, you know, I think it just lends to the, I, I don't know what, you, what the right word is, the aura of the South, mm-hmm. that this is a unique Southern product. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we've traveled some now with the business, and the further we get from the South, the more... You know, people are intrigued by it. They want to hear you speak about it and talk about the the things that are going on in the agriculture and the, the other industries. So it opens doors, too, you know, that people people want to know. I'm curious about other other places, and, and it just gives an opportunity. Oh, I see you, Georgia grown. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I'm not sure about sunflowers, if I make the connection quick, but definitely when I think Georgia produce or ag i think pecans peaches peanuts mm-hmm. you know those three p's so i think it is sort of neat when you're putting a product that is so intimately connected with what we're known for and it does have that you know stamp of approval it, it makes a different level of connection to the oh product. sure i mean think about here in georgia we have peanut festivals mm-hmm. we have peanut queens mm-hmm. we have statues to peanuts we got Jimmy Carter is synonymous with the peanut farmer. Uh, it's just, it's, it's part of our culture. Yep, absolutely. Do you want to explain on record the difference between regular peanut oil and your peanut oil, just to kind of give, give a, you know, baseline to come from when consumers yeah, sh- are looking sure. no, for um, products? And it, first, let me say that I know what I do but I don't know 100% what anybody else does. But in the industry of growing peanuts, you oftentimes have peanuts that are low quality. You have peanuts that have insect damage or they have uh, aflatoxin in it, bacteria in the peanuts. And those aren't suitable for food grade uh, as is. Raw peanuts, they can't sell them as raw peanuts. Those are segregated, and I mean, it's down to a science is that before any peanut is dumped off of a wagon from a field, it's checked for these. And then if they come back, say, the last thing you want as a peanut farmer is a load of these peanuts. Mm-hmm. But say that happens in a bad year, those are segregated, totally different warehouses and everything, and those are sold as uh, oil stock peanuts. So typically if you buy a uh, low-grade peanut oil, uh, commodity-grade peanut oil, that's what it is. And to get the bacteria out, they are the oil is cooked to burn out that bacteria to, to, to kill it so you're using a, a bad peanut could be an old peanut by the time it's crushed for oil and then it's been cooked at a really high temperature what I take is a really good dry shelled peanut that's often been shelled that week kept in cold storage to that point, we get that good high quality peanut, do the press, and then do our process, cleaning it and bottling it and uh, out the door. So high quality stuff, same thing with our pecans, we use high quality, uh, the sunflowers are high quality, and that, that's, that's the difference. And once you've made the oil, you also make flour out of what's left over. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, that's been a really neat um, side project, if you will, Mm -hmm. or uh, I call it a byproduct. It's actually, it's a co-product of the oil-making process in that, you know, it has just as much value 
oftentimes by volume it's just as much product as oil so finding a way to utilize that and make a profit if possible off of it became you know important very quickly mm -hmm. uh, you don't think about that but if you have some commodity like peanuts they're 50 percent oil you have 50 percent of that and I have a ton of something to do with what do you do with it uh, you know you can always feed it to an animal you know you're not gonna get much money for that so just playing around I burn up two food processors and in, in trying to grind this product down into very very fine flour and you know we were able to do it and saved up researched on milling equipment and bought a small five horsepower mill that is able to particulate this down to very fine flour do you use the flour at home you use your flowers yeah we do oils? we do of course you know we we use the oils uh quite often the flowers are really great we do treats um and mo honestly, most of what we do is making samples for you guys when we go to events. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I get to enjoy those. Uh, but we do. We make cookies, brownies. Uh, you can do lots of, lots of stuff with it. That's so fun. And I love that it gets used. I mean, huge no-waste advocate. I love coming up with a, cr a clever way because it saves you money. It saves whatever from ending up wherever. So it's very neat, the flowers. And... Clay was nice enough to give me some of the pecan flour, and I'm going to try it, and I will post on thelawfarm.com how amazing it was. So you started selling just at local farmer's markets or Atlanta farmer's markets, but farmer's markets, right? Yes, the little pop-up kind. Right. You know, and that's something funny to me is that, you know, growing up here, um, we're 12 miles away from Cordill, which is the watermelon capital of the world and has one of the busiest state farmers markets, I'd say anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, this joker's rocking uh, when watermelons are coming in. So in my mind, when you say we're going to the market or farmer's market, that's what I thought. And it's more wholesale stuff, large loads of watermelons. Though you do have the stalls with people selling peas and peaches. And that's basically what it is at these other uh, pop-up events, those type retail vendors selling. Were you selling at any down here in South Georgia, or were you going up to Atlanta? Yeah, you know, by the time I got going in 2013, there were markets here locally that I wasn't even aware of beforehand. But, you know, the very first market I did was down in Tifton, Georgia, which is 40 miles south of me, um, the Wiregrass Farmer's Market. It's held at the Museum of Ag. I love that market, and we started out with it. We did one in Warner Robins, and Warner Robins, of course, has uh, Warner Robins Air Force Base, mm -hmm. so there's a ton of uh, military personnel and people who have traveled all over and are from other areas of the country that have different eating habits, you know, uh, and, and they flocked to the market and bought fresh bread fresh vegetables so that kind of opened my eyes too that like I can't necessarily maybe get this same type atmosphere in Wilcox County but you know these guys are making a choice to get healthy fresh fruits and vegetables um, versus you know processed things mm -hmm. so going to the markets opened my eyes that way and and it was super important for direct feedback you know from from consumers mm -hmm. uh, what they like didn't like and um, we kind of expanded out for a couple of years and picked up more markets. Uh, I knew, you know, Atlanta is such a huge population concentration that I had to get it there. 
and just research the best farmers markets to get in there. And uh, we've tried several. We're currently active in three in the uh, metro area up there. And uh, which three markets are you at? The three we attend now are Freedom Farmers Market, mm-hmm. uh, and we do every other Saturday there. Okay. Peachtree Road up in mm-hmm. Buckhead, mm-hmm. and we're part of a cooperative the middle georgia growers Mm co-op and they are at grant park every sunday okay very cool so So that's where people can get your oil you're also at strapaggio near emory that's right and you're at other boutique oil stores yeah there's several places around atlanta that carry it uh, from let's see pine street market Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave out too many if I go to name and right. stuff. But Cook's Warehouse has been a supporter for many years. Uh, Buford Highway Farmers Market up there carries it. Mm-hmm. Westview Grocery, it's a new place. They look really great, uh, really nice. Westview Corner Market. And can people order directly from the website too, just individuals? Yeah, I'd love for you to do that. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's honestly, Valerie and I, we love getting an order through the internet and packing you something, writing a thank you note. I mean, just, we, we, you know, not only is it nice that you can make a sale and and not have to expend on travel and so forth, but you know, the repeat customers, when we see, hey, we've got, Sally's ordered four times, you know, in this year already or something, that just really motivates us, you know, and encourages us. That's so nice. You also have connections with specific chefs and restaurants in the Atlanta area. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd I'd love to talk about some of these friends and and chefs. When I first started in 2013, I went to a conference actually down southeast Georgia in Reedsville. It's called the South Georgia Growing Local Conference. I'd seen it on Facebook or something and looked it up online and... um, I called and said, hey, I'm just checking it out if you, you still got tickets or what I need to do to come. And she's like, who are you? Where are you from? And uh, I, it was Janice Ray. Um, and I said, well, I'm from Pitts, and I'm thinking about making oil. I made a little oil, and and um, just interested in this local movement. And she said, would you come and talk about it? And I said, uh, no, I'm not comfortable talking and she said, you can get in free and your wife too. And I was like, okay, how long? And she said, 30 minutes. And I said, well, I could stumble through it for 30 minutes. So that was, that was a, just one of them, just do it and, and pray it works. And went to that conference. I met a guy, Don Cooper, uh, who at the time was involved at Georgia Organics. And he said, there's a great chef in Atlanta named Stephen Satterfield who he really supports local and loves working with directly with farmers. You should go talk to him and see if he use your oil in his place. And I was like, okay. And uh, I, I looked him up and found his, uh, got his contact info. And so I made arrangements to go see Stephen at Miller Union. Mm-hmm. And I took him several samples of the oil. And he was blown away by the peanut oil. Mm-hmm. And was just like, wow, this is really good. It tastes green. I love this flavor. It's so popping. And uh, I was like, okay. He's like, can I have this bottle? And I said, sure. Just had a tag on it. Didn't even have a label, anything. Uh And uh, he said, I'm going to Charleston 
uh, to, to meet a friend of mine. He said, do you know Sean Brock? And I was like, oh, no, no. He's like, he would probably like this too. He said, if you don't mind, I'll take it with me. And I said, yeah, man, please go ahead. So little did I know, he was jumping on a plane to go film an episode of Mind of a Chef with Sean Brock, and they used the oil on the episode. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. So I became a fan of Stephen and Sean Brock really quickly and <laughs> and was just blown away at not only how talented they are with the culinary skills, if you will, but good people. Mm-hmm. Helped me in ways they didn't have to, open doors, and still showing me love. So, you know, yes, that was, I mean, again, the Lord has opened doors for me. I could never have written a script this good. That's wonderful. On that note of, you know, you've had this great ride with this. It's gone better than you could have ever expected. But for people who may be listening to this right now and they're thinking, I want to make a value-added product like that. I want to have meaning and and add, you know, something to this food system. What advice looking back and what wisdom would you impart on them to keep in mind as they go forth with that? Well, I think if you have a dream, you should definitely pursue it. Mm-hmm. And a dream is one thing, but you got to put action to it, right. and that's when it gets hard. Dreaming's easy. A good idea is worth two cents. You know, making it happen's worth a million dollars. So that's where you got to buckle down. And you know, I'd say seek the Lord's wisdom. That'd be the most important thing. And I think, was it Thomas Jefferson once said, the man with the right motivation, nothing can stop him. And the man with the wrong motivation, nothing can help him. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I, uh, I didn't get that right. But the essence You get is the there. gist. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of how I feel too, is if, you know, if it's meant to be and you're working hard and you do right, you know, more than likely it'll happen. I agree wholeheartedly. And so now Valerie was working in education when you yes. started this venture, but now full-time, you and Valerie have the opportunity to work together, too, right? That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, Valerie had taught school. We, we're the same age, so uh, she had been teaching for, I want to say, 15 years or so. And um, people thought she was crazy for getting out to help in this fledgling business, but um, we just felt like, hey, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to spend time together and we saw that there were opportunities to travel and promote the oil and we looked at it as hey this is a trip that we can make memories that you know no amount of retirement is you know is is worth these once in a lifetime things Mm, i love that i think it's so neat that you guys get to work together do you have any other employees or is it just the two of you yes we do have um some full-time and part-time employees um after a couple of years in, uh, we just, you know, became overwhelmed with the volume, the time that it took to do everything. You know, if you're sitting there marketing, you can't be bottling and so forth. So now we have a full-time young lady who helps us named Holly Roundtree. Uh, and her main task to work on are, are the bottling and labeling. And, you know, that's one thing that I take pride in is that hopefully every label you get is going to be straight. There's not going to be smudges on it. And just as much love is put in that as putting the oil in. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you have Holly and... Holly works with us full-time. Uh, I have two ladies that work the Ameri- uh, Atlanta markets for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandy Goldie works Freedom Farmers Market. Uh, she's just been a phenomenal asset to our team. She's very active in the community. She's a foodie herself, so a uh, very good advocate for us. At Peachtree Road, Tammy Robinson uh reps our booth there uh tammy does a fantastic job there just she's always smiling and and and, you know making people laugh Uh, so i feel like it's just like an extension of us being there because that was important to me is to be there and and you know make the connection with people but you just physically cannot be in these places so having these team members that they feel the same way about it as we do they're passionate about it and uh, that makes all the difference in the world awesome yep so now the question of scale Mm -hmm. it's so nice that you have the connections that you have that it is family run family owned I mean to me that is just an incredible piece of it do you think you could or would or can or going to really scale up to where you would ever get past that or do you think you know staying small might be something that's worth it to you well, I don't know, you know, I mean, honestly, I have to pay my bills and I have to provide for my family. I hear that. You know, so <laughs> that people are like, why are you still working? I'm like, because I have to, man, you know. Okay. I'm talking about when it's late in the evening or on Saturday and they come by and they're like, oh, well, yeah. you know, and I'm like, well, you know, you have to. Um, I don't know. I wasn't planning on doing being right here when I started, mm-hmm. so I really don't dwell on it too much. Um, you know, you always want to have more storage or more space or could speed this up by adding this, but uh, I'm still of the mind that I'd like for the business to grow itself. And, uh, you know, if it does, we will. And if it doesn't, uh, and we can maintain, you know, we'll do that. Going back to restaurants, I was thinking as you were talking, do you make specialty items for any of the restaurants? Or are they using the same things that we could buy online or find in the stores? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me about them again because you know, there's so many places in Atlanta that have world-class food that even me, I'm 150 miles south of Atlanta. It was like mind blown when I go into some of these restaurants and I look at the menus and we dine there and I look at the 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 thought and the creativeness that goes into some of these dishes and I'm just like blown away. I'm like, I would never have, and I wouldn't have thought it tasted good, but that was <laughs> delicious, you know? Yes, yes. So uh, I'm just super excited anytime I get to go be around these chefs who are at the top of their game, I'm feeding off their energy as much as I'm getting anything else out of it. Uh, Staple House uh, has just been tremendous to work with them. Uh, Kimball House has been a loyal supporter to us, and um, they just, you know, you mentioned specialty things. They're one of the ones who will try my experimental projects. Uh, They're good to reach out to. Staple House is as well. Portofino, Watershed. Uh, Watershed just went through some new uh, ownership change. Matt Marcus is the owner now, and the energy coming out of that kitchen is electric. I mean, they are on fire. Uh, they they have really supported, and Watershed, uh, Chef Carl has been 
really good about trying new things like uh, even plant stuff. He wants sunflower petals. He wants peanut leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, just taking things you don't typically use. And, you know, he's like, does it taste good? I said, oh, yeah, it tastes good. Bring it. <laughs> so, so what are some of the experimental things that you have given them to try? Um, well, like... I don't know the proper term for it, but tahinis, the butters mm-hmm. that come from the, um, the sedimentation process. Mm-hmm. Little fines go in with the oil, and they settle out over time, and then we decant off the clean oil. And that that's left, since my presses are uh, what you would consider a cold press and that it doesn't uh, get hot enough to have a verifiable kill step, mm-hmm. According to the laws, I can't sell this butter. But the restaurants then can do, you know, they're set up to cook and do things. So that's been a, a great way to, that that's very little of that. But it's great to have an outlet that I don't have to waste it. And they can use it and, you know, let the creative juices flow. And I remember reading a story, I'm not sure if it was on your site or if it was on their site or another site, but of St. Cecilia using your flour to make a completely like Georgia tart too, talking about oh, the creativity about yeah. and getting novel with it, yeah. and it's fun. It's yeah. so neat to hear. And it's- you know, like you said, there's so many restaurants in Atlanta that are just blow your mind good, and we have a couple of distributors in Atlanta. The Turnip Truck really does a great job, and they distribute to restaurants that maybe I'm not even aware of. So there are guys that, you know, I'll reach out to and say, hey, I just, I'd love to get you some samples. He's like, dude, we use it. Get it from Turnip Truck, love it. So I'm like, That's thank awesome. you, sir, carry on. <laughs> carry so, on. <clears throat> that is so awesome. I'm here if you need me. Uh, so, so to support you, people can shop in the stores, people shop at the markets, people can shop at oliverfarm.com. And they can go to these restaurants. Is there anything else listeners can do to support Oliver Farm and Oliver Oil Company? Tell all your friends and family about it. Yes, 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 yes. We were talking about that off mic about how the product is so great. It's so original. It's, it comes from a great place, but nobody knows. Or people are learning. Yeah. And everyone should know. This is something everyone should have on their radar. Yeah, I mean, it's a great big world and everybody's busy. Um, but just one of those things. It's an it's an and it's an option. You know, everybody knows olive oil or vegetable oil. I get that all the time. Oh, I use vegetable oil. And I said, well, well, what vegetable is it <laughs> that catches them? Answers? You know, and they, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, hey, check it out. You know, that's more than likely a blend of you know low quality stuff. Here's something healthy. You gonna buy organic lettuce? And, you know, nice beef, you care about your T-bone steak, but you'll cook it in the cheapest oil out there, you know? So just think about it. So tell your friends, too. That is perfect. Are there any resources besides Department of Ag and people that you've talked about reaching out to and conferences, but are there any other resources that have helped you with making oil, learning about oil, learning about the industry generally that you may want to share with? Oh, yes. Um... National Peanut Board. Okay. Um, we were very fortunate to have an article in the New York Times, and that got a lot of attention from people in the peanut industry because the article was about the green peanut oil. Uh, National Peanut Board has helped us get nutritional information on the peanut oil. 
They have helped us to get to trade shows, promoting the peanut products. They've just done a really, really good job supporting us that way. Are there any similar bodies or boards that do sunflowers? Like, or do you have any? Yes, I am a member of the National Sunflower Association. Okay. Uh, and they have been helpful. They send out newsletters and things, you know, and that's helping me learn. I didn't know that North Dakota, South Dakota grew so many thousands and thousands of acres of sunflowers. That's where, you know, if you're spitting seeds or using them in your confectionery stuff, more than likely coming from there. They're a good resource for growing, uh, harvesting, storing. Uh, so a good resource with them. Uh, we were very fortunate to become uh, aware of the Good Food Foundation. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, a foundation based out of California that promote uh, producers of artisan type goods uh, that are sustainably sourced and produced and I really like them because they do blind tastings for their contests they have an awards program and I felt like well we'll never win anything coming out of Georgia into California you know mm -hmm. and entered one year somebody emailed me and said you should try this you know I know I've heard of this good food you should do it your product's good never gave it a chance the pecan oil won and I was just like what because they called and vetted me like for 30 minutes on the phone asking question after question and, you know I was honest I was like hey we are in the south you know the humidity and the climate here like pecans especially you know you know their fungicides need to be applied or you you, you lose everything and uh, <clears throat> they they understood that, and um, the the flavor then I felt like should sell itself on the flavor of that pecan oil, and that opened the door to a whole new world to us through their voice and and promotion. We get connected through Slow Food, and have actually we our Benny oil is on the Slow Food Arc of Taste, so able to promote it and, and make people aware of these products. You know, in a larger I'm glad you way. brought up the Benny oil because that is something that I don't know anything about, and I know that you have it. Talk to me about Benny oil. Okay, what is that Benny is a West African word for sesame. Oh, Benny is sesame, but the difference is modern sesame, like you see on hamburger buns, mm -hmm. has been bred to have different characteristics or traits than the old land race varieties mm -hmm. uh, where Benny still maintains that and the flavor profile I compare it to eating um, say a heirloom tomato to a hybrid tomato mm -hmm. you know there's a difference mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. one of them's a little more aggravating maybe to grow yes. maybe to harvest yes the other produces uniform things, and that's what little hamburger buns want, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chefs, on the other hand, appreciate the flavor profile of this oil, uh, and, and it is. It, the, we do modern sesame, and we do Benny as well, and there's a difference. Okay, so sunflower, pecan, Benny, modern sesame. What other oils do you have? Peanut. Man, look up there. All of those we've done. Oh, man. 20 different oils. So I just pointed to a shelf that has a whole bunch of his bottles with all sorts of things inside of them. That they, Oh, yeah, the pumpkin oil. Pumpkin seed, okra seed. Okra seed? Uh-huh. Oil? 
Yep. Do you have that right now? Yes. I missed that on the internet. I'm not looking close enough at things. I love okra. I'm obsessed with okra. Okra's oh, yeah. my thing. It's, it's my wild. logo on my card. I'll give you a minute. You see the little okay. okra flower. Okay. Okay, I know what I'm getting online and buying as soon as I get home with my credit card. Okay, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, just have tried a couple of uh, new ones this year that I've never done before. Poppy seed, uh, coriander, actually partnering with a chef out of Asheville to source Indian coriander mm -hmm. straight from farms in India to, to be pressed so it'd be super fresh. Uh, so See, I've done walnut, almond, I just did nigella seed. I've played around with... What is uh, a nigella? It goes by many different names. It's one of the oldest spices known to man. Uh, it was actually found in the tomb of King Tut. It's called black caraway, black onion seed. Okay. But uh, it's actually nigella. Um, so cool. The verdict's still out on it if it's going to be, you know... Great culinary oil, I think medicinal purposes and, you know, cosmetics and things, it, it, who knows where it would fit. And that's the great thing about the oil, you know, it's many uses. That's so fun. So do you stay in this, like, constant mode of being able to pick up new things and try it and just stay excited? I love it. That is, that is so fun. Keeps from getting bored. I love this. And I've got, I've, I don't know how. I looked online and I have done research and I have not noticed that you have all of these options. So I have so many more things to try and taste and do. I'm so excited. And that's one of those things, you know, they may be smaller in volume, so I don't really, you know, I may not want to get labels printed for nigella seed. Uh, but, you know, chef in the restaurant doesn't care if it's got a label, so I can sell directly to them. And if they love it, I know other people will love it. If they are like, yeah, it was okay, then, you know, maybe that's one we, we, we don't, you know, pursue. That is so great. Well, I think that's all I have for you. Is there anything else you need to say before we wrap it up? Well, just thank you for, you know, thinking this is worthy of a story. And honestly, I'm still humbled and amazed that, you know, the business has done what it's done. And, you know, I give the Lord the glory and the credit because, uh, like I said, I didn't even know what I was getting into or have a direction. So That is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for following the dream that you had in your head and doing it because it really is a great product, great story. So thank you so much and thank you for taking the time to be with me today. I really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Check out the description of the podcast or thelawfarm.com for more information on the resources mentioned in today's episode. I want to give a big thank you to Andy Kez for sharing her music with the Law Farm podcast. A link to the full song on iTunes is in the description. As always, eat well, be inspired, and support your local food systems.